Thank you for listening to Comics for Fun and Profit. This is Drew with a special episode of my other podcast that I co-host regularly. And uh, it's Weekly Comic Spotlight over at John Mayo's comic book page. And uh, for those of you who haven't heard it, I wanted to give you a chance to listen to it. It's a standard review show of uh, a Marvel, a DC, and an independent comic. Uh, each week. So uh, check this out. And if you like it, go over there and subscribe or check out uh, those those episodes. They're a lot of fun. So thanks again for listening. Um, here you go. This is Weekly Comics Spotlight 525 for comics originally released on August 30th, 2017. Now, starting us off in DC is Red Hood and the Outlaws Annual Number 1. And uh, have you been reading this uh, this title, Drew? Not since the last time we reviewed it. Which was, I don't even remember when the last time we reviewed it was. Could have uh, been uh, 2014, 2015, <laughs> something like that. I don't know the title's been going on that long, but maybe, maybe. <laughs> uh, this is one that I think they restarted with uh, with Rebirth. And this is an annual, and this story is kind of a done-in-one adventure that's frankly somewhat disconnected from the rest of the series. So you not reading the rest of the series, I don't think will help or hinder your enjoyment of this story any. I gotta say though, this is uh well overall I've been enjoying this the the series. I'm not gonna say it's my favorite DC title. It is not. It's not my least favorite either. But this the art and story in this issue they were they, they were good. Not brilliant, not horrible, but good. But man, there were just some oddities that as I was starting to read through this, you know, I I take some notes. But it was getting to the point where I'm putting down page number and panel number because I wanted to be able to reference a couple of specific things. And it's just early in this issue, a couple of things just kind of set me off and, and put this into a, a, frankly, a little bit of a tailspin uh, for me. And again, it's it's not a horrible comic, but early on, we see, um, I think it's like on the fourth page. No, I'm off a couple of pages like that. Um Right after we've gotten the title page, uh, another page or two. Yeah, I got my page numbers totally wrong. Um, we've got Nightwing guest starring in here because sure, why not? He's guest starring in just about every other Bat title these days, so why not stop by Red Hood and the Outlaws? He's going behind the big top to the the performer area only or whatever. And there's a page there where he's like, "Hey, can you help me find somebody?" And his eyes are like pitch black, just black voids or whatever. And I'm like, "Well." That's kind of odd. Um, and it happens to other characters elsewhere in the issue. It's like, did you not want to draw the eyes? Did the colorist not get the layers right? What happened here? You know, when we finally uh, flip the page, get a splash page of Red Hood and the Outlaws, I'm like, geez, Jason Todd, he, he looks young. Not like Damien kind of young, but younger than he should be. So there are a few places in the issue where the look of some of the characters, the key characters, the title characters. Looks an awful like Nightwing, too. Yeah, God. It, the two could pass for twins at times, except for mm-hmm. when, you know, one's drawn, you know, I don't know, eight years younger looking than the other. Um, but there are places where the, the look of these characters fluctuates from page to page a little bit, and a little annoyingly so. And there were just a couple of places where the characters felt a little out of character. Not radically so, but like um, when they're sitting down to, to eat some of the beans or whatever, which it's like, sure, whatever. Artemis is in the back doing her hair, and then she's putting on lipstick, and I'm like, 
This is a warrior Amazon. This feels a little off. I'm not going to say it's completely out of character, but it's not what I expect from her. Now, how much of that is carryover from previous continuities I've got or what? I still think it's a little out of character, but not fly in the face, oh my god, this is unacceptable, just this is a little odd. And then there were one or two other places where, I mean, again, we're we're five, ten pages into the, the issue at this point, and I've already had a few things where I'm sitting here, it's like, hmm, yeah, I don't know about this. And then when Jason's finally asking Dick Grayson for help, he, he, he struggles to get the word out. Now, I don't know if you're old enough to have watched Happy Days on a regular basis. I remember Happy Days. You remember Happy Days. Do you remember there was a couple of episodes where Fonzie was just wrong about something, and he had to admit he was wrong, and he couldn't get the word wrong out. Uh Oh, yeah, yeah. I remember that. You're just choking down on the... Yeah. You know, and somebody says, oh, you're not right? Yeah, yeah, that, that, you know? This was a carbon copy of that sort of a thing, and... It just felt, I don't know, I don't want to say cliched or whatever, but the minute I saw that one panel, the first thing that popped in my mind is, I've I've seen this on Happy Days and it was done well, you know? Overall, I felt the issue was a little bit weak. We've got a main plot with uh, the Beast, who used to be the KG Beast, but you know, whatever. And that plot was, was okay, it wasn't great, it was a little over the top. We've got Nightwing included here, it seemed like strictly so we could have a subplot of kind of the the sort of brother interaction between Red Hood and, and Nightwing and stuff, but it was it was blatantly uh, so that that's what they were doing, and it, it didn't have payoff, it didn't feel great, it, it I don't know, it didn't, didn't work for me. And then with Bizarre and Artemis feeling just a little off character, it's one of these things that it's not a bad read, but it's certainly not essential reading, and it felt like it's like, hmm, we've we've got an annual... Let's let's put a done in one story in there. Hmm. Oh yeah, let's have let's have Nightwing show up. He'll he'll maybe boost the sales or something like that. It just felt not by the numbers, but it felt a little uninspired and it felt a little flat for me. Tell me you liked it better. I think I liked it better. Um wouldn't did, be hard. Uh, are are the uh in the current storyline are they in the circus? No. Or is this just, just something out of context for the annual? Well, in the current storyline uh, it's centering around some stuff that's going on with Bizarro. Okay. And I would have to think back to the previous storyline. I don't think they were with the circus at that point, but I've been reading the the timeline of me reading the last arc and stuff like that's been long enough and I've read enough since then that I honestly don't remember. Yeah. Yeah. Well having having Nightwing come and sit in the audience and experience uh the the the, the show I thought was kind of fun. Um the conceit of Jason needs his help, but he can't really ask for him. Th- that was took a little bit too long, I think. And, uh, to get from, from where they needed to be. And, and y- yeah, what they were going for was what, what you said. Um, I did not reference the ha- happy days, but it, it did seem like, yeah, we've kind of seen this hesitant type of thing. And I can't ask for help from my big brother type of deal before. Um, I like the, uh, the, the the lessons that Nightwing taught about ingratiating yourself to a community and how uh, circus folk and he knows them uh, because of his time and, and and knows how to gain their trust and mm-hmm. that that worked really well. I really enjoyed the the Bizarro bearded lady storyline. Thought that was fun and then the time that that Artemis and Nightwing 
spent together was a, a good conversation and nice character building. Um, I, I thought it just had a right number of, of characters for wasn't too big, um, but yet wasn't too, too small of a story. And I think a, enough characters got uh, their time to shine a little bit and, and go through some things and develop as the story went on. So I, I liked that. I thought the art was fine. Didn't notice the dead eyes until you pointed them out. And now I can't, now they haunt my every waking memory, I think, because they're, they are really bad. And they're and all over you, the place. There are a couple of them uh, now that is, they just pop out of the page now every time I see them. And I'm like, why did, why did you do that? Cause sometimes he has these eyes and sometimes they're just dead shark eyes. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it doesn't really make any sense. Somebody missed that. Surprise. Editors asleep at the wheel. Um, and, uh, other than that, I thought, you know, this is a pretty fun story. Uh, now it's, well, I'm guessing it's a $5 annual. It's, I'm trying to find where they hid the price on this. Yeah. yeah four ninety nine. I forgot to write it down. So, yeah. you know, it's, it's a couple of extra pages, but you know, is it, is it a, is it really worth the five bucks? Probably not. I still, I still enjoyed this well enough, um, that this was probably one of my, um, favorite red hood stories that i've read in a long time but that's not not that many so uh i haven't really ever really caught on with this character for any sustained period of time well the issue does have a few moments you pointed out some stuff with like bizarre and the bearded lady and some stuff like that that were were decently done but this takes place prior to i think it says red hood and the outlaws number 12, 12. yeah i'm not sure what they're currently at um but it's before I think the Bizarro storyline they've started. So I don't think the the bit with the the bearded lady is likely to go anywhere. So that kind of undercut that aspect a little for me. And then while I liked the Artemis interaction and stuff with Nightwing, it felt not like Artemis. It was good interaction, but for a almost any other female superhero character than that one. Because she's never been shown to have this really good sense of humor or to be so easily amused. She's really just a, a constantly kind of ticked off warrior. So this felt not right. Okay. okay. So there's probably really no potential love interest there, even though it was kind of forecasted that way. I, yeah, I don't, I don't see that happening. But I mean, Nightwing, I think every female he meets is essentially deemed to be a love interest at some point. Yeah, that's true. Starfire, Batgirl, Huntress, uh, you know, you name it. If you like the characters, this isn't a horrible issue, but there were enough things that just felt for me a little bit off. And uh, again, a couple of things with the art here and there uh, didn't totally work for me. But there's also little things. I mean, the circus was, was a placeholder. We need an excuse to bring Nightwing in. Oh, let's do it at a circus. Okay, fine. They don't name the circus, I don't believe, or maybe they do, but it's such a minor thing. There's no comment about, you know, uh, Grayson having worked at another circus, uh, Haley Circus, and therefore potentially even knowing some of these circus folk. So they leveraged that backstory of, of Nightwing a bit, and I thought halfway decently, but halfway decently. Well, when he asks, he says, hey, Rubes, is that a uh, just a, a euphemistic colloquialism of of you're all rubes when he when he says hey rubes where's 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 this guy at my understanding is that phrase has a significance in circus culture but it felt like it was out of context there um but i i honestly don't know i'm not circus folk yeah i didn't i didn't i don't know what that what that means and i thought well maybe that's 
maybe one of them's name is Ruby. <laughs> but yeah, it must, it must be something else that uh, they, a, a gaggle of circus folk are referred to as Rubes or something. I, I, I It's something to do with the circus stuff, but every other time I've seen it referenced has typically been in a Nightwing or Robin story. And it seemed to be more of, uh, you know, you'd shout, hey, Rube, to, to, it's like, hey, fire, you know, everybody's attention sort of a thing or whatever. Um, I don't know, it's, and again, that's, that's knowledge gleaned from other comics written by non-circus folk as well, so who knows. Um, it, it seemed like it, it was used out of context, but honestly, I don't know. Yeah, and, and Artemis, right from the start, seemed flirty, like right from the get-go, so I, I didn't even know that that wasn't her character. So that's too bad because she, yeah, she was totally portrayed that way from the from the first time she met him in the camper. Yeah, everything from doing the hair on up and down had more sorority girl than Amazon warrior. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, they they're really going against type there. I'm not sure that if I was, I, I'd, I'd allow Bizarro to be the cook, but that's just me. Uh, given what's going on in the storyline after this, sure. Before that, no. But, uh, again, it's, it's stuff that isn't wildly like they're claiming he's like a clone of Batman or something type out of continuity, but it's, it's stuff that just the minute you stop and think about it, it's like, well, that, that's odd. That, that doesn't make sense. So that, that was the, the feeling I came out of this issue with. It was decent, but it could have and should have been better. Um, it was, it, again, it had some good character moments. They were just, with inappropriate characters. Um, so I'm going to go with a, a C plus. It does have its moments, but it's the kind of thing. If the, the, the series was always written with this kind of portrayal of the characters. Yeah. We'd have different characters. Well, I had to get a little higher than that. I mean, this is the, this, this does contain the first appearance of flippy flop, the world's clowniest clown. So, um, that in its, Self is worth a half a letter grade. So I, I, I'm up to a B. I enjoyed this, I think, a little more than you. And uh, ha- having not had the uh, the r- remaining issues, the previous issues, to kind of cloud my my understanding of the characters, I just kind of uh, was able to just w- roll with it a little a little easier. So I think that probably would help if you're just coming in cold and want to read a one-shot with Jason Todd and Dick Grayson and, and you know, a couple other characters thrown in, in the mix. Um, it's kind of fun, so I give it a B. I, I think it's one of those cases where sometimes having less knowledge of the characters makes for a more enjoyable read, or less knowledge of this interpretation, this current iteration of the characters. Fair enough. Fair enough. You're not as uh, as uh, beholden to the continuity or whatnot, and therefore, if they fly in the face of it, it doesn't matter because you don't know any better or whatever. It's it's one of those things where I definitely think there are times where. Me having a, a long back history with these characters sometimes helps, but there are definite cases, and this is one of them, where it didn't. It hurt. Yeah, I mean, we, we see this, you know, some some creators are writing Alfred with, with a child. Some are writing him without a child. Um, is that okay? I don't know. I'm going to say uh, no. You know, can, can creators make these decisions? And, you know, can the characters that are in Detective not be the same characters that are in Batman? Uh, I guess, but it's frustrating. If you're doing a shared universe with one continuity, either you're doing it or you're not. Can, you know, can a Star Wars character be in <laughs> the, the time after New Hope and the time between uh, Force Awakens and something or after the attack of the clones? 
yeah, you can have all those continuities going on, and it's really not confusing at all for the reader. Might Transition. be confusing, but it's okay, because again, different points in a timeline. So with that, we'll uh, move over to our Marvel title, which is, um, let me make sure I get this. Well, it's Star Wars Mace Windu number one, but on the cover they toss Jedi of the Republic in there, in case we're confused with some other Mace Windu, um, because there's so many. I gotta say, beautiful looking cover, too. Um, just fantastic. So this is after Attack of the Clones? This is okay. as the Clone War is raging on. I think it is before the uh, the wiping out of the, the Jedi. I think it's before uh, the third movie in the prequel trilogy. So that would be after Attack of the Clones. Sure. I'm getting confused as to what all the titles are and it off the top of my head, but yes. Okay. Um, that's kind of where I pegged it. And I thought, oh, that's uh, an interesting choice. All right. Yeah, you so got to have it somewhere. Yeah, sure. Um, I mean, it's kind of hard to do it after the final movie of that trilogy, because, well, there's not many Jedi left. Yeah, everybody's dead. Yeah, pretty much. For me, this is kind of the fun start of an adventure with a small group of Jedi Knights led by Mace Windu, which is, eh, I, I wasn't expecting a team, but okay, fine. Um, you know, we get one page of this, which is uh, devoted to the, uh, and this is the team I shall take with me. I will choose thus and so for this reason, thus and so for this exposition, and thus and so for that exposition. Okay, fine. A little heavy-handed, but in the span of a page, we get introduced to the other four Jedi or other people who are going to be on his team, what their name are, what they bring to the table, and not really why we should care, but at least what's their purpose in the plot. Um, Only one of which felt a little too similar to another character and to me it was the the blind jedi was too similar to the one from uh from rogue one i mean they're different characters but it's like we've done the blind jedi shtick can we do something else i mean go deaf that might be interesting or something i don't know um this was good star wars action we get a ways into the storyline we get enough of the jedi standing around talking as they want to do as well as flipping around with the lightsabers and such um with plenty more action, no doubt, to come. And there was a, a decent sense of humor about this. You know, I loved how when they're on the planet and one battle droid is like, man, I'm bored. You know, we should have more action. I want to go to the front line kind of a thing. And the other's like, dude, you've, you've doomed us all. You know, not exactly the kind of back and forth I would have expected from battle droids. Clone troopers, sure. Um, but it was but funny. Then, yeah, yeah. It was My favorite part was was also between battle droids when they kept calling him commander i believe and he said would you stop would you please stop calling me that and he kept telling it kept doing it over and over and and that that was really the highlight for me was uh that little exchange and i I had fun with that i couldn't tell why he didn't want to be called commander though nope me neither it was a riff on don't call me chief yeah something like that um the art was good um compared to the cover i mean with uh, 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 Jesus Saiz on the cover, which is just practically photorealistic and stuff. I knew I wasn't going to get that on the interior. Uh, Dennis Cowan did, I think, a strong job. The characters look... Those that have recognizable actors like Mace look enough like them, but it's not one of those where it's the stiff OGs, okay, I I, I know what scene he, he uh, referenced that from or something. If I had known Samuel L. Jackson played him, I would not have recognized the the interpretation of him at all i really? didn't think the i didn't think the artist captured him in one bit uh we'll agree to disagree on that and the shape of his head changes throughout 
Um, it, yeah. Okay, that'll so, grant you. I'll grant I you think, that. I think we're going to disagree on the art in general. I think there are places where it was clearly evocative of Samuel L. Jackson. It was not Dead Ringer lightness by any stretch, but it captured, I thought, the the sense of the way he looked and did a pretty good job there, but not one where it's like, okay, this guy could only be played by Samuel L. Jackson. Whereas, again, uh, the cover, I think, you know, again, nailed that pretty well. Um, this issue, I think, was more or less what you you kind of ought to expect it to be. Granted, there's a few more Jedi on his team than I would have expected, but we get Mace Windu, he's going, he's having a Jedi adventure, we get the lightsabers, we get the blasters, the battle droids, it's set in that period, uh, and it feels Star Wars-ish. So, I don't think they're necessarily breaking any new ground, I don't think they're, uh, you know, being wildly inventive or anything, but they're they're meeting my expectations and, and doing a fine job with that. Yeah, part of the uh, my lack of enjoyment in this issue, I think, is probably the cartooning style that's not my um, favorite style. So uh, all, while some folks might enjoy this art, um, I, I think stylistically it just doesn't mesh with my sensibility. And, and that's OK. I, I found this story um, not really engaging characters, not really interesting. And, and what they were doing, uh, I really didn't care that much about the outcome. Uh, uh, save for the interaction between a couple of battle droids. Um, not much here to write home about. Um, o- almost a complete swing and a miss for me. Um, but uh, I, you know, there was a, a little bit of, of stuff in there that I, that I, that I could latch on to, but, but not much. Um, the, the, the final page, the final page splash with uh, a, a mercenary droid um, probably should have, been something that would compel me into the next issue i didn't feel anything there i didn't feel like there was anything i needed any i needed any more from this i think i i got a sense for what this is going to be and it's not going to be for me um so uh this is another another star wars title that i'm going to be sitting out which um i was all in there for a while so this is a surprise interesting interesting i mean i can see where you're coming from on some of that again the the reveal at the end of this mercenary droid i'm like who is he and why should I care? So that fell a little flat and I can see it not kind of propelling you to the next issue. Um, Dennis Cowan is not somebody I necessarily would have said, hmm, let's have him do a Star Wars comic. I thought he did a good job, but it, again, different tastes, different people, that's fine. Um, to your point of this being, uh, to paraphrase or, or hopefully not put words in your mouth, but kind of just a run-of-the-mill adventure, nothing special, I, I can see that. Like I said, I don't think they're charting any new ground. I don't think they're being wildly inventive, but it felt like enough of a story that it held together. It wasn't just mindless action or, or filling time, but in the totality of, of the Star Wars canon, canons, if you want, depending how you count the extended universe, whatever, this certainly is likely to fall into the rather forgettable side compared to, say, all the movies, the cartoons, and many other things they've done. This is not Crimson Empire or some of the other comics that had been done in years past, decades past, that were just sensational. This is good. This is fun. I enjoyed it. Um, but it's also something that I think a lot of people could easily pass on and not miss anything. Uh, for me, I'm going to go with a B. I liked the art. I liked the story. Um, but I can see where it's not for everybody. Yep. I'm down at a C minus. Uh, not, not my thing and, uh, didn't work for me, but 
I had a few saving moments, but uh, not enough to, for me to continue to read or recommend. I can understand that. Shall we move on to our other book? Yeah. This is Ringside number 11. This is from Image Comics. Now, this is a title I have not been reading, and this is the first issue of it I have ever read, so I'm totally unfamiliar with what's going on. I thought it'd be fun to kind of do one of these reviews where you're the one who's kind of the expert, knowledgeable one of, of the, uh, <laughs> the, the, the realm. Um, so why don't you kick us off and, uh, and tell me what you thought of the issue? Yeah, it, it, there's been a long delay since the end of this uh, last story arc, so I'm a little fuzzy. But basically, if you've seen The Wrestler with Mickey Rourke, um, and you kind of understand who that character is, old wrestler past his prime. Um, that's kind of our main story. And he, he used to be a big deal. He used to be the Minotaur Minotaur. And, uh, he was a, a, a famous wrestler and is kind of washed up now. Um, he gets, uh, drug into some underworld things, working for gangsters in order to rescue his boyfriend from them. Who He got, a, he went down a, a path with drugs and got in a little too deep. And now he has to kind of work him off of that. Uh, and that's kind of the driving force that has been kind of driving him through these first two arcs. He's also, I think, a screenwriter. <laughs> and that seemed to have really been amped up in this issue. Uh, that was uh, not not played up very much in the first two arcs. So uh, I was kind of surprised the way uh, how this story arc kicked off um, kind of about his uh, his his uh, actual pilot that he had shot and uh and we're going in that direction and really no mention of the the boyfriend at all i don't think um which was again the driving force for the first two arcs that were a lot bloodier than this and a really a, a, a different story altogether so uh this was definitely a downshift in a change of pace and um still the same main character but it's not just not quite the same world uh, seems a little different. Um, so it's had a little more, uh, wrestling touches in it, a little, a little more flashback stuff, uh, than, than usual. Usually it's, it's wrestling as just a reference point and there are really not any details to it. Um, they seem to have talked a little bit of, a little bit more about the, the actual wrestling history in this and maybe, uh, one of our younger wrestlers and some of his ideas to propel himself into the industry a little higher. Um, but yeah, it, it, it was a, it was a curious re-entry point back into the series for me. And I'm not sure it's, um, it's going in the right direction. I, I don't, I don't know. It feels like it's kind of did a 180 on me and I'm not sure if that's the direction I want to go. Uh, you having missed out on those first two arcs, uh, I'd be curious to see what, what you thought of this. And did you even get a sense of who these characters were? That's a great question. Before I get to that, I want to pick up on one of the, the things you said about uh, going in the wrong direction. Um, if you start with the splash page we open the comic with, exterior of a diner, uh, sun coming from behind, it looks like it's late in the day, evening perhaps, as witnessed by the fact there's a, a sign or a post or something on the sidewalk that's casting a, a shadow out there, away from the diner. Flip the page, we get to the next page, we're inside the diner. There are windows to the girls, uh, her left, our right, or whatever, counters on the other side. So it implies that the we're at the front of the diner, uh, off to our right, 
yet the shadows are going to our left, which is the exact opposite direction they should be going in based on the sunlight on the first panel. And you may think I'm harping on, geez, does it really matter what direction they draw the shadows in? Well, normally I would say no, it absolutely does not. That's a nitpick. That should be completely ignored. Other than the fact that on this page, the first interior page here, second page of the story, when we're actually getting a look at this Mr. Davis, when we get to the shot of his face, panel four there, his face is entirely in shadow. And the, the, it's like, how dark is this diner? You know, when we go to the next page, which is a close up on him, a full page splash of his face, again, most of it in darkness from, from the overly dramatic shadows. And, you know, whether they're coming from the, the correct side or not doesn't matter, but it's like, if you're going to deal with shadows this much, spend a little bit more thought on the lighting. And this harsh, overly dramatic lighting isn't limited to the diner. It is throughout the entire uh, comic. You know, when we get uh, a scene or two later to um, uh, where we've clearly done a, a cut to, to the who do you think you are scene, because I don't know how else to reference it, and it's about the new guy who's replaced the old guy, which, of course, is incredibly clear, accessible storytelling, he said facetiously, or flat-out sarcastically. Um, when we get to the, the guy who's who's wondering who the new and the old guy are or whatever, when we see this bald guy, he's, like, almost entirely in shadow and stuff, to the point where in the final panel of this one, it's like, I'm going to call this guy or whatever, you can't see his face, you can't see most of his body, it's just there's a sliver that gets a little bit of sunlight on him. Because apparently in this world, incandescent light bulbs, the LEDs, or any sort of interior lighting just doesn't quite exist or work. Um, and it may seem like I'm really harping on the lighting and stuff, but there were enough of these things where it's like, who is this guy? I can't see this guy. You yeah, know? and usually I, you'd think it would be the anchor's fault, um, but I think that's Nick Barber doing his own inks. I'm not, I'm not 100% sure on that, but I think it's Nick Barber doing his own inks. So he's covering up his own shading there and is that the right way to go um, i can't believe that's the colorist using those blacks like that because no, they're no they're yeah they're incredibly dark um sometimes just half the face is gone in blackness um multiple times actually and well in yeah, some cases it, the entire face is gone in blackness it, it's it really um it, it feels like there was some shortcuts taken in the art and um they tried to cover that up with some with, with some of the shading and yeah, the, I don't think it was cover up. I think it was intentional. I think it was that way from the get go. I mean, we've seen in, in weeks past where you know the 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 arts artists uh, takes the time to detail backgrounds and really throw that extra effort into um, fine detail and really bringing the scenes to life. That's not the case here. Um, they're very rudimentary uh, backgrounds, settings, um, sometimes just colors that are taking the, the place of a, of a wall or something that really has no definition or shape. Now, there's a lot of that throughout. I can handle the shortcuts on the background of, Hey, splash of orange. Cause it's an orange wall. We right, don't need to see the brickwork indicative or anything. Of also what's going on with the main characters as well. But when most of the time we see a face, half of it is in complete darkness. It's like this guy, it's like everybody's two faced or something. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. By the end of the issue, I was more than a little confused as to what was going on and why, to the point I was going back to previous scenes. It's like, well, wait, maybe this wasn't a scene shift. Maybe they just walked out to the, the warehouse portion and these are the same guys. I, I just, I'm not sure. Well, wait, this guy's got a collar. This one doesn't. So, okay, these, these are different guys. And you know, I was trying to, to puzzle out the story. And 
you know, part of it is I prefer to be able to see what's going on, so I at least have a fighting chance. I have, like, in that scene with the new guy replacing the old guy or whatever, I had no context. I was coming into that scene kind of cold. I don't know who they are, why they're sh- the scene's happening. Right. You know? Now, I didn't read the first two arcs, so I expected to be a little lost, but I expected to have a little bit more accessibility at the start of an arc for this to be a bit of a jumping on point, or at least a resetting yeah. of the scene. But... You know, I couldn't tell, is all of this being told in flashback from the stuff at the diner? Is this guy who's got the pilot, is this the, the Mr. Davis guy at the diner or not? I, you know, so yes. I, it wasn't clear. Right. And then the, the, the reveal at the end that the, he, he was part of a, a duo that were also boyfriend, boyfriends, uh, early on in the career. I don't know where that came from. Um, so, so I guess there's, there's, an old set of boyfriends and a new set of boyfriends going on. And I'm, I'm sure that they're going to meet sometime. Yeah. Is, is this now, is this now a book about uh washed up wrestler turned Holy Hollywood mogul, or is it still um, him trying to get um, out of mob control? I don't know anymore. And it's, that's too bad because I, I think the first arc was much stronger than the second. And which is, totally a distant cousin of the third i'm not sure exactly where this thing is headed and uh, yeah, the the arts part of the problem but it's not the only problem for me where it's headed didn't even enter the equation i couldn't tell where it was at you know i never got a good enough look at most of these characters and a good enough sense of of the context of the scenes or what was going on to to give me a, a kind of a pivot point from which it could go in any direction you know what i mean yeah exactly S- so to to get to the point of, well, where is this headed? It's like, I don't know, you know? Um, for me, the art between the, the lighting, the coloring, the inking, whatever it was, the, the visual aspect of the story was a barrier between me and the story, and it put aspects of the story into question that never should have been in question for me. Like, when exactly have we switched scenes and kind of the, what the hell is going on here? Um, I, was, I was very disappointed with this, hoping that it would be one that it's like, okay, I get what's going on, but I need some context. I don't even know what's going on. Um, and that was, that was frustrating. I mean, it's not an art style I necessarily gravitate towards, but it's really no different than we've seen in like the fuse and a few others. So it's not the style of the art. It's just the way that, um, the overly dramatic lighting and, and tone and style and whatnot with it. I presume they were doing for effect. It effectively shut me out of the story. Yeah. So for me, I'm going to go with a, a D. It's tempting to go a little bit lower, but I'm not gonna. It's just one that, um, I think if I spent some more time, I think if I'd read the previous two arcs, I, I couldn't see how I wouldn't like you to do anything but like this better. But, you know, I haven't. And not only is there no incentive for me to do so, this is actually one where I'm kind of glad I read the PDF and, and don't have a physical copy of this floating about in my collection just because it would be out of place there. Yeah. Yeah, I, I can't really argue with you. I'm giving it a D plus. I think it really, um, with a long hiatus, um, time off, I thought it would come out at least reset, um, the bar a little bit, you know, make sure everybody was on the same page. And we know we've been gone a long time. Uh, that sort of thing. I'm really disappointed there. So, um, yeah, yeah, D, D, D plus. And, uh, uh, that's too bad because it's, uh, I feel responsible for this one. That's a shame, though, because I was hoping that it was just me coming in cold 
and that if I'd had the context, if I already knew who these characters were, I'd have been able to follow okay. But that's that's obviously not the case. That's that's a shame. Yep, it happens, though. It does. And nobody sets out to write a bad comic. And I'm not even going to say this is a bad comic. I will say this is definitely not a comic for me, though. All of that having been said, um, it's okay that that wasn't a comic for me. I've got plenty. I've uh, still got a, a sizable backlog, but I've done quite a bit of reading over uh, the long weekend. I got, I think, around 136 comics read since we last recorded a week ago. I saw I saw your chart this time. I see those those lines getting ever closer to each other, so that's good. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've still got about another 165 comics to read. That's the equivalent of three or four weeks behind. I say the equivalent of because some of these things still stretch back into, I think, late Q1 of, of this year. Uh, I need to just start picking some of those off. Uh, I'm current on just about everything published by Marvel and DC. There may be one or two titles uh, I haven't quite hit yet. Um, going through the stuff, the highlights for me this time around were uh, Batman 66 meets Wonder Woman 77. I thought that was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed that. Uh, Star Trek Boldly Go had some some really good stuff in there. Um, there was uh, the Poe Dameron uh, annual worked uh, well for me. I'm enjoying that title, even though I... Frankly, I came out of the movie he was in thinking, okay, he's a pilot. Big deal. They're doing a lot more with the character in the comic, and that's fun. Wildstorm was really good. Um, Injustice 2 has some, some really cool stuff. The Probably the highlight out of everything, though, was the first issue of Nightwing, The New Order. Really good, enjoyed that. Yeah. yeah. I'll be honest. I was not expecting a whole lot out of it, and it completely shot past my expectations by a wide margin. A great, great uh, uh, first issue there. Yeah, I, I, I didn't expect that one to be as good as it as it was, and uh, yeah, really, really good. I'm curious where they go with it, and um, if it can can maintain kind of that level of enjoyment for me through uh, through the run. You caught up on Astro City? Uh, yes, I did. Uh, I had two issues of that that I read. Frankly, I'm getting a little tired of the Broken Man or whatever. Uh, they made some some good progress on that storyline and finally gave it a little bit of context or whatever, but. I prefer when uh, Busick does a little bit more kind of done in one, done in two, and exploring a new area versus kind of going back into in to areas he's been at before. Yeah, it was an origin that I did not expect, and so it was kind of interesting. It's a fun, I don't say twist on something, it's it's inventive, it's different, it made sense, it worked. So I think it's it's still a good story, but I'm not... As uh, as gung ho about that character as mm-hmm. I have been about a few of the others he's he's had. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I, I caught up on that. Uh. Finally read the DC Warner Brother crossovers. Some of those were better than others. Uh, I would say that Batman uh, Elmer Fudd was probably the best of the bunch by a wide margin. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um. So finally caught up on that. Uh, read through the Marvel's Thor Ragnarok prelude, which is basically just recapping two of the movies they apparently hadn't adapted into comic format before. Um, so literally nothing new there. And what else? I finished off, uh, again, a lot of Marvel DC stuff. Uh, Star Wars, Stargate, uh, Star Trek. Uh, trying to think what else I covered. Uh, that was a lot of it. Eric was asking on Slack today if, since I'm essentially reading at trade level almost, because I'm a good couple issues behind on this, if that was was enhancing my reading experience or not. And yeah. uh, I'm going to go with primarily not, because for me it's kind of highlighting 
how little happens in some of these comics. And there have been a couple that have just been a lot of fun and stuff, and I've really enjoyed. Things like the the Future Quest Showcase, but, you know, it's nice to see Space goes back and whatnot. But there have been a few others where I will read an issue, read the next issue, and it's like, you know, you guys really haven't moved forward that far in the plot. Read the next issue, and they still haven't. You know, or between the three or four I read, it's like, okay, that could have been covered in, in an issue or two instead of four or something. So there's a little bit of frustration there at times. And it kind of reinforces, you know, why you're not a trade reader. Yeah. You know, they, you like them in a single issue form, at least for the big two, for sure. And uh, that's that's cool. So you, you're kind of experimenting and you know that you're on the right track. <laughs> it hasn't been 40, 50 years wasted. <laughs> Well, yeah, I think these things read fundamentally differently in single uh, uh, cha- uh, single issue installments versus in trade. Like I read the entire uh, um, Edge of Venomverse in one sitting, all five issues, and they all end the same way with uh, them th- th- that character getting recruited for the Venomverse m- miniseries or whatever coming up. And if I'd read them on a, a week-to-week basis, it wouldn't have been hammered home quite as much. But back to back to back to back, it's like, dude, I've, I've just read this. Um, different character, slightly different twist, but same story beats. Um, and there are others where having read them all in once, like Batman 66 meets Wonder Woman 77, I loved it because you got essentially three two-parters as if they were episodes of the Batman show, but set, you know, at different time frames. So, you know, the first two issues are, are back when Bruce is young, uh, and it's more, you know... It's after World War II, but it's it's after uh, Wonder Woman has has had her first season, if you will. Um, then we get the time frame of of the Batman TV show, and then we move forward uh, in uh, issues five and six there of the print copies to essentially the time of the Wonder Woman TV show. And being able to go from from issue to issue to issue was great because it's like I want that next part. So when stories are really going good, I like having a stockpile of them. But it's one of those things where if the story is, is is not going really good, for me, it doesn't work better this way. Other people, I think it will, but different tastes. So, uh, also read all the Kirby stuff, uh, those one-shots. Yeah, what do you think? Uh, reminded me that I'm not a huge Kirby fan. Yeah, that's how I kind of felt, too. I mean, I know he's a master. Um, but oh, absolutely. I, just, I can appreciate, you know, his prolificness from the time period and... All the things he created, but yeah, I was I was reading them. I was like, oh, yeah, I don't think uh, I don't think this stuff is for me. I mean, it, it's it's he's got a sensibility. He certainly was a master at the craft, but what he produced and what I tend to enjoy reading, they just don't quite line up overall. Although I am enjoying the Commandy Challenge, some of those more than others for me. Sure, um, for sure. And to me, that's that and the DC Challenge. It's based on. I've said it before. I'll say it again. You've got to judge those a little bit differently. Because those are a series of done-in-ones strung together with, with blatant cliffhangers. Um, and is, is it a fun cliffhanger? Is it an obvious one to get out of or, or not? Um, I will say my major disappointment in that series has been the, uh, the text page at the end. Because there have been one or two times where the, because uh, the writer of it is the one of, the, I think, the previous issue saying how he would have gotten out of it. Sometimes, and sometimes they don't include it at all. That's the part that annoys me. It's like, you had a solution. You told us you had a solution. You didn't tell us the solution. Yeah, yeah, and the, yeah, that's kind of frustrating. Yeah, um, when it, they're not playing by the same rules. But it's fun. It's entertaining. Um, don't know if they're going to do another challenge series after this or not. Don't know if I want them to or not. 
if they do, I do think it would be fun to do a, a literally a challenge of the Super Friends. Um, play with the iconic characters um, in a very clear all-ages sort of a thing and try to see if you can get something that not only has 12 really good done-in-one stories with the iconic version of those characters from Saturday Morning, but something that could get people hooked on these characters and lead them into as an on-ramp into uh, the DC Universe proper. Yeah. And I think that would be the second level challenge of that series. If we have any listeners um, in the Houston area, we hope you are safe and secure and um, rebuilding uh, because it looks to me like it was hit pretty hard. You would know more than I would being down there a little closer to it. It's uh, certainly Houston's just gotten slammed on this. Uh, Other areas have been hit too. I am in Austin, Texas, and uh, what we've hit is a gas shortage. Um, because of the refineries being hit and stuff like that, well, we got off pretty much scot-free in terms of physical damage. You know, I was driving around the last couple of days. Well, actually, I didn't drive around the last couple of days because I had like half a tank, and I'd been to literally a dozen gas stations that had no gas. So if you're in... That's weird. Uh, yes. it's Well, it's, again, the supply, demand, a lot of our stuff in Texas is coming by truck, if they, they don't have the roads right, if the trucks aren't available, if, if they've been hit, whatever. Um, I finally found, or my sister found actually, uh, gasbuddy.com. If you go to tracker.gasbuddy.com, they have a map of uh, kind of the Gulf Coast area that has what stations have power, have gas, um, or they just don't know. So if you're in one of those areas, and hopefully by the time this goes up in about a week, this will long since be passed, all this will be behind us. Uh, but if it's not, you may be at the point where you really need gas. This is a place to start, but uh, you're better off also checking with the gas station directly, just depending on if it's a couple hours out of date, they could have run out in the meanwhile. Yeah, and as um, as we're recording this, uh, there's another hurricane coming into Florida right now. So all our Florida listeners, family and friends, we wish you well and and um, hopefully uh, safe safe travels if you if you get out of get out of Dodge or uh, hunker down. Yeah, keep an eye on the weather. Stay safe. Um, it's it's Mother Nature is, is brutal at times. So, again, we've gotten off lucky here in town, but I was surprised a week later that we really started to feel the after effects of it. Uh, and those who are on the, the front line of, of the devastation, that's uh, it can be a very life-changing experience and not in a good way. So, hopefully everybody's unscathed by that and, uh, and doing all right. Yeah, let's hope so. So, by the time this goes up, uh, the preview spotlight should be the next episode after this, so that deadline will have passed. But, Saturday, September 16th at 7 p.m. Central Time, the plan is to do our comic book page teleconference, where we hop on Skype and just talk about comics, movies, TV, whatever comes up, we discuss. Then, the next preview spotlight deadline, I believe, is going to be October 7th, the morning thereof. I am expecting the next previews to get released on September 27th. Uh, online solicits and stuff usually go up a week or two before that, so plenty of time and stuff. And again, um, a lot of cool stuff coming out, so there should be stuff that uh, it's fun for people to pick and to talk about, and hopefully they're excited about. Hey, and thanks to Sam on the Slack channel. He posted uh, a list of all the upcoming television shows and their premiere dates. Oh, and uh, I thought I kind of knew what I was going to be watching. And, and it's this this is kind of doubling. I'd forgotten about some of these that were coming back and and it's in chronological order. So 
if you're not on Slack, it's worth it's worth signing up just to get this uh, handy dandy guide to um, all the fun stuff that's coming up. And oh, going to be a lot of TV. DVR is going to be hot and uh, full at all times. I think. I take it that's in the uh, TV channel. It's in the TV Slack channel. Yeah, that's it's really why I hadn't seen it. I've been staying out of that one because I'm kind of behind on my TV in some areas. So, but I'll I'll have to check out that list. Yeah, it's a it's a good list, and um, uh, man, there's ton tons of things to consume. Yeah, I mean, we've already had a pretty pretty rich selection in this past TV season and stuff, and with geez, it's probably I'm gonna say maybe another dozen uh, TV shows starting up. Yeah, between Just Black for Lightning and Gotham, and- Gotham starts up on the 21st of of September, so you have uh, roughly 15 16 days to get through that last season. Uh, I've got the one before it too. Oh, you did! Oh man, okay. that one's a dark enough show that we've kind of put that off. We've got a few other things queued up before it. Um, on our next viewing nights, uh, my sister and I have uh, two movies we're going to go through, and then uh, we'll see where we're at in terms of stuff. Uh, there's another two series I'd like to kind of do some marathoning of before we would get to Gotham, but yeah. uh, it's we play it by ear. Now is Star Trek. Star Trek Discovery, is that going to be still that interactive channel? That's going to be the pilot on uh, CBS, and then it goes to CBS uh, All Access, a streaming service for CBS. Mm, That's too bad. And I think they're going to release it on a weekly basis, not all at once. So we'll see how that goes. It's possible that it'll burn it off in the summer or something, too, though, right? On the actual channel, just long after it debuts. I'm not going to say that's impossible, but I've heard no plans to do that. I think they're trying to use this to launch a streaming service, much like uh, MGM is trying to use Stargate to launch one. Disney's trying to get one going. I I think a lot of these uh, companies want to have their own streaming service to compete with Netflix. I think they're maybe a few too late for that, but that doesn't mean they're not going to try. I would not hold out necessarily for it to get aired on CBS. There is a strong chance, though, that Star Trek Discovery could get released on DVD, much like some of the Netflix shows have been for uh, the Marvel stuff. As to how long that takes, if that's even going to happen, I don't know. Oh, okay. So I'll get to see one. We'll see what happens. Yeah, I, I, I appreciate that you're doing more Star Trek. I don't appreciate that I've got to necessarily sign up for another service if I want to see it uh, in the short term. Yeah, exactly. But that worked out okay for me with Netflix with the Marvel stuff. So I just, yeah, too many, too many things to pick from. Yeah, yeah, I'm still a few series behind, and Defenders has already happened, so I didn't get a chance to catch up to that one yet either. So, uh, My sister and I have watched that, recorded on that. I have not edited that, and I don't know when that episode will go up. But uh, that's that's one of the many things we've got uh, waiting in the wings to, to release. Do I need to watch Daredevil Season 2, Iron Fist, or Luke Cage before I <laughs> watch Defenders? You're better off having done that. Um I think if you have not, you'll be a little lost as to the starting status quo for Luke Cage. Not a big deal. I do think there are story aspects from Iron Fist that are beneficial to know before watching uh, Defenders. There's continuity from the other shows. Um, I'll try to get through Iron Fist. I heard it was a slog. I'm not going to say it's their best show. I would, uh, uh, frankly, I would say at this point uh, of the stuff prior to Defenders, it was probably the weakest. But they've also done some really great stuff, like over on Daredevil and whatnot. So they've got a lot of uh, stuff to compete with there. Yeah. So anything else? Does that pretty much do it? Yeah, I think that does it. 